genius. I hate people. I hate people. This is why they're the worst. Are you ready for it? Hey, Rach. Hey, Rob. I'm Rebecca. I'm the listener today. I'm Rachel. I'm the teller today. The storyteller. The storyteller enthusiast. And while I have you, um, <laughs> Rebecca is forcing me to make a public apology <laughs> because in the last episode when we were talking about Jamie and Nation going on their first date, I said it was very exciting. However, I don't miss it. And Rebecca has something she'd like to say. I would like to apologize because as someone who is single until she was 32, 33, I can't remember. I always thought it was so annoying when people be like, oh, I don't miss dating, blah, blah, blah. And so I apologize for not sticking up for y'all right then and there, those single listeners out there. It was fun dating. Screw Rach. She's been in a relationship for like... Ever. She doesn't get it, guys. But I do. <laughs> Listen. And it was so I'm annoying when people used to say that. Oh, I don't miss that. Oh, I don't. I'm like, ugh, shut up. No, I get it. Um, apologies. I can see why that would be annoying. <laughs> I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I do miss you dating. I do <laughs> miss Rebecca dating because. You don't like Barrett? <laughs> No, I love B-Face more than anything, but, man, you had some good ones. Oh, I know. Once, Rebecca was on a date, first date with someone, and he said, what is your... (laughs) Sorry, hold on. Okay. She said, he asked, what is your worst habit? And she responded, Skittles. (laughs) No, she said, what's your vice? Oh, okay. What's your vice? And she said, Skittles which is very innocent, <laughs> whatever. Which cussing and he said, or something should have been, but whatever. And his response was, mine's cocaine. Yep. And then he <laughs> proceeded to go into the bathroom on a Tuesday and do some cocaine. <laughs> it's just it's just the weirdest thing. <laughs> it's a crazy that he didn't alter his response when yours was Skittles. <laughs> that is the crazy part. Know your audience. Come on. Were you like... Habit or addiction? Yeah. Or vice or addiction? Either way, my my answer stands, Skittles. Right. And yours is cocaine. That's great. (laughs) That is quite the opposite. And then she went on another date with them. But then that was it. Guys, I was like 25 and naive. I don't even think that was it. But anyway, I was like 25. Let's lay off. It's my favorite. I know. I I just mess up. So I'm sorry... Thank you. Okay. Um, by the time this airs, I think we'll be in October. Maybe. Halloween's approaching, peeps. Um, yeah, it is. But in real time, it's August 31st, and season two is out tomorrow. Woo woo. But of course, oh this, God, yeah, this will right. be airing in a few weeks. Well, great. I wonder, future Rachel, how many times she's watched. The Halloween, oh yeah! By the mar- time this marathon, yeah, by the time this airs, there's going to be so many Halloween marathons under my belt. Mm. Mm-hmm. Can't wait! So. And any critiques y'all have had for the second season? <laughs> this, what is this? Our sixth episode? 
you won't hear them or they won't be corrected by the sixth episode. Just know that. Oh, yeah, we're getting a lot knocked out because Rebecca's going to Europe. Mm-hmm. The, there's a whole thing. So we're just trying to get a lot under our belt yeah. for you. So there you go. There you go. I think that's all I got. The story I have for y'all today is, you said this last time, but I'm. it's unlike one we've covered before. Oh, okay. Great. So I'm going to jump right in. Again, sorry. I'm just clarifying. Rachel is telling the story. Rebecca is listening. Oh, my God. We now label our episodes like that. So I really don't think it's that Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. Sources are all things interesting, unsolved mysteries, but note, it is solved. The 1990 episode of Unsolved Mysteries covers something else about it. We'll talk about it at the end if you're interested, but you'll get it. JimHerald.com, Anecdotas.com, and The Washington Post. I just got an alert on my computer. It says, Massacre of Eight Family Members. And now I want to click it and ignore your story, but I won't. So continue oh, on. I know. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Born in 1929 in the Philippines, Teresita Basa came to the United States during the 1960s in hopes of a better life. She initially came to study music, but ended up a respiratory therapist. Oh. I know. A little Quite the switch. She lived in Chicago and worked at the Edgewater Hospital. Fun fact, John Wayne Gacy and Hillary Clinton were both born <laughs> there. No way. That's right. That is a fun fact. I, you don't think of serial, kill- serial killers as babies, like newborn infants. I know. Teresita lived a very simple and unassuming life. She sounded like an angel. She would give free piano lessons to the kids in the neighborhood. (laughs) She's so sweet. Mm -hmm. On February 21st, 1977, Teresita's friend Ruth called her and they chatted for about 30 minutes. And during that conversation, Teresita told Ruth that a friend of hers was about to come over, but she didn't say who. About an hour after that phone call, Teresita's neighbors called the fire department because they smelled smoke coming from her apartment. When the firefighters busted in there, they found 48-year-old Teresita was naked and buried under a burning mattress with a butcher knife sticking out of her chest. Ow. Okay. She had been killed. No, you don't say. Obviously. Well, I'm just putting it out there. We have some badass survivor stories, is all I'm saying. Uh, that's true, but I, I guess this isn't one of them. No, unfortunately not. She's so sweet. Investigators ultimately determined that even though she was naked, she was not sexually assaulted. Mm. Her apartment was ransacked, but because of the fire, there was no physical evidence to lead police to her murderer. Although they did find a note that Teresita wrote to herself that said, buy theater tickets for AS, like initials AS. Yeah. And they're like, who the F is AS? Um, who? What year is this? I'm sorry. This is 1977. Oh, okay. Detective Joe Statula pursued several leads, but none of them panned out. And again, all the physical evidence was destroyed by the fire. So the investigation was really not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Almost six months after the murder, Dr. Jose Chua and his wife, Remy, called Detective Statula and said they had some information about the murder. About Jose and Remy. They're also from the Philippines. Jose was a doctor at a different hospital. 
And Remy was actually a co-worker of Teresita's, but even though they worked in the same department, they never worked the same shift. Mm -hmm. So they like knew each other, but not that well. They definitely weren't friends. Mm -hmm. So they told Detective Statula an insane story. Okay. Here we go. One night, Remy was feeling really weird, so she went to lie down. Jose was concerned, so a few minutes later, he went into their bedroom to check on her and quietly asked if she was still awake. And she turned around and answered him in Tagalog, the national language of the Philippines, but with a distinct Spanish accent that Remy did not normally have. It freaked me out. I know. So she turned around, she was in like a full-on trance. And she said, I am Teresita Basa. Doctor, I want to ask for your help. The man who murdered me is still at large. She told him he had nothing to be afraid of and really just wanted him to help solve the murder. Wait, were her eyes open and everything? Yeah. He said she was like in a daze, in a full-on trance. It took her about 30 minutes to snap out of it. And when she did, she had no memory of it. Nothing. A few weeks later, it happened again. This time, Remy, again, speaking as Teresita. Sorry, Remy's the co-worker of Teresita, Teresita. but they don't really know each other. Same, different departments. Okay. Correct. And she's married to Jose. Yeah. So, again, speaking as Teresita through Remy, um, she told Jose that her killer was a respiratory technician who worked at the hospital with her and someone Jose knew Remy didn't like. She was afraid of him. Wait, someone Jose knew. Oh, Remy Remy was afraid of this person. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He had heard of him before. She asked Jose to go to the police with this information. Again, when Remy came out of the trance, she had no recollection of the conversation. Jose, who, mind you, is a doctor and I'm sure doesn't trust things that can't be explained by science. Right. Did, did not go to the cops. Yeah. A few weeks later. Oh, no. It happened a third time. Oh, my God. This time she's like, motherfucker, go to the cops, as I say. More or less, that is what she said. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm watching you. I will haunt the hell out of you if you do not go to the cops. Oh, my God. So, yep. It happens a third time. And Teresita, again, through Remy, asked Jose why he hadn't gone to the police yet. (laughs) He told her there was no evidence and he could not make such an accusation based on this insane happening so Teresita was like oh okay here's your evidence the night he murdered me he stole a pearl cocktail ring and a jade pendant and gave it to his girlfriend even better Teresita described the jewelry in detail and told him they were from France they were a gift from her dad that her dad gave her mom who then passed them down to her oh my god she also listed family members who would be able to identify the jewelry oh And lastly, she told them that even though she was found naked, that was only to make investigators think there was a sexual assault, but there wasn't one. And that information had not been made public. Holy shit. So that was real inside information. Very detailed. Oh, my. Yeah. She was like, oh, okay, no problem. So that's when Jose and Remy decided to call Detective Statula. Obviously, the detective was very skeptical but he had literally no other leads. So he tried. He said he tried to take it seriously, but was like, mm, this is probably nonsense. Then Jose and Remy 
told him the technician's name and it, and the detective's ears perked up. The name Teresita gave them was Alan Showery. A.S. Alan, you're screwed. So now Detective Statula was very interested because they were trying to figure out whose initials that was. So he started with a background check on Alan. He found that he did live in Teresita's neighborhood. And after he spoke to other coworkers, he found out that from time to time, Teresita hired Alan to do odd jobs around the apartment. And the night she was murdered, he was supposed to come over to fix her TV. But I'm like, six months has passed. You're just now talking to coworkers? Right. They, they could have told you that six months ago. Mm-hmm. Whatever. They brought Alan in for questioning, and he admitted he did go over there to fix her TV, but he didn't have the right tools, so he left. They then brought in his girlfriend, Yanka Kamluk, and asked if Alan had given her any jewelry lately. And she said he did a couple months ago for a belated Christmas present. Oh, my God. When exactly, you ask? I do. Feb- in February. Uh-huh. The month Teresita was murdered. Mm. She showed them the jewelry, and it was a cocktail ring and a jade pendant. So they asked Yanka if, they would, if she would be willing to let Teresita's family inspect it, and she agreed. They go back to the police station. The family members meet them there, and the second they saw it, they said, those are Teresita's. <gasps> oh, my God. Teresita should come through Yanka and really scare the shit out of Alan. You know? <laughs> Totally. If she gets to pick and choose. This is cool. That would be so cool. I hope this is real. No, it is. I'm, I mean, I obviously, mean, it's not. A, this isn't a um, fiction podcast, but. Yeah. Oh, my God. If she has that much, you know, power or authority on who she gets to come through, I would go through Yonka and just torture him. Or just, well, oh, yeah. Okay. You're right. That'd be fine. Well, the detectives went back to Alan and told him what they learned, and he immediately confessed. Oh, my God. He told them that he was supposed to go over there to fix her TV and planned to rob her because he was short on cash. I don't know what flipped. I guess it was the plan all along. But when he when she let him in and turned around, he grabbed her from behind and started beating her. Then he stabbed her once in the chest and told police he stripped her naked to make them think there was a sexual assault and try to throw off the case. He ransacked the apartment, but only found $30. So he stole her jewelry to, quote, make it worthwhile (gasps) for killing her. And then he set the apartment on fire to destroy evidence. Alan was charged with murder, pleaded not guilty. And in January 1979, he went to trial. Of course, the defense attorney, William Swaino, argued bullshit, said... (laughs) said the whole thing was crap, and quote, never to my knowledge has a man been arrested because of a supernatural vision. Police have never before been informed of a criminal's name by a voice from the grave. Um, well, he was also arrested because of his confession. Well, <laughs> well, so he also argued that Remy made this up because she didn't like Alan, and that was very well known. Um, but the prosecution argued that it didn't matter how Remy got the information. What mattered is it led to actual evidence against Alan. Like, he was in her apartment. Right. The jewelry. It, I mean, at the very, very least, he robbed her. And then coincidentally, someone came in right after that and murdered her. I, I love that argument when people do that. I'm like, that is quite the night for that poor victim. 
Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Shockingly, though, the jury was hung. What? And it was almost declared a mistrial when Alan changed his plea to guilty. Oh. Nobody knows why. The rumor is is that Teresita's ghost paid him a visit. Oh, my God. Yes, Teresita, get your revenge. And forced him, like, to have a change of heart. Who knows? He almost completely got off. It was going to be probably going to be a mistrial. <gasps> and he was just knowing that was like, no, guilty. Oh, my God. Teresita's like, you'll never be free because I'm always here. Yeah, so that's sure. right. Yeah. Good for her. No. But... You want some more bullshit? Sure. He was sentenced to 14 years in prison, only served four. What? Got out, and no one has heard from him since. (gasps) There were reports that he moved to New York. Nobody really knows. Talk about a slap on the wrist. Oh, my God. Is that not insane? That is insane. Four years for murder? That's right. So he's murdered again. I'm sorry. You just. I'm sure you have. You got a slap on the wrist. Why would you? Right. Why wouldn't you? I mean, um, I don't know where he is, Rach. I don't know the I don't answer. Know either. Same, girl. So. Oh, it's not done. Okay. No, it's not. That story is that Teresita, that lovely woman who, by the way, was like such an angel. Everyone said it. But Alan specifically took advantage of her because she would hire him for, like, odd jobs. And she would way overpay him because she knew he, like, struggled with finances. Oh. So he, he, I think, just assumed she had a lot more money than she did. And what a piece of shit. But, so I thought that was very, very unlike what we've done before. If you're into paranormal, geez. Yeah. That is really crazy. Mm -hmm. It got me thinking, though. Oh. Has in, anything else like this happened before? Where, like, something supernatural or a psychic or, or something else has solved a crime, which we know has happened. So I have two other quick stories. Stories within stories. Oh, okay. The first one, mm-hmm. John, John DeMars. My sources are Reader's Digest and Unsolved Mysteries. Right. Multiple story episode. Okay. I know. It's solved. Unsolved mysteries. Really jump on these cases. On December 20th, 1974, 30-year-old John DeMars, who was a happily married man, father of two young children, left his job as a banker in Manhattan and headed to the train station for his daily commute home to Nutley, New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Nutley. When the train arrived in Nutley, though, John was not on board. Mm-hmm. It was as if he vanished into thin air. Nobody saw anything or knew what happened. Police theorized that he may have run off with a lover or had been embezzling money at the bank, both of which were very quickly debunked. They looked into foul play. Nothing came of it. So the detective assigned to the case reached out to psychic Dorothy Allison which is like a bold move, I think. 1974. Oh, yeah. He was like, I got nothing. Let's go psychic. Yeah. Um, he must have been really desperate, though. Mm-hmm. Dorothy told him that she thinks John fell off the train and drowned. And he was like, no. Like, how would, how would that happen? Yeah. So he asked her for more clues. And she said she saw a stack of tires, 
a park where children sled, the numbers 222, and a bow and arrow. And police were like, they, they still, there's nothing to piece together with these clues. They had no idea. That is, until a couple months later, a father and son had been practicing archery by the shore of the Passaic River, which runs along the train route that John was on. When one of their arrows missed a target, it landed next to John's body in shallow water. Wow. The date was February 22nd, 222. Also nearby, there was a park where tires had been arranged to make a sled run. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? So police later determined that John had fallen asleep on the train um, when the conductor made an unscheduled stop along the Passaic River Bridge to let another passenger off. John was still half asleep, thought it was his stop, walked off the train, and then walked off the bridge and drowned. Oh, Isn't that heartbreaking? Sad, yeah. You know, I always look at the clock at 2.22. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Always. If I wake up in the middle of the night, it's 2.22. When we were looking for um, Airbnbs in uh, Europe, there was a picture of the kitchen and on the clock was 2.22. And I was like, this is the one. Something's going to happen at 2.22. <gasps> oh, I hate that. Um, I just always happen to look at the clock at 2.22. And then that got me thinking about that Charlotte guy who went missing in like 2008. Oh. They yeah. got a psychic involved because there's just like, no. This guy went missing at a bar. God, what's his name? Uh, in downtown Charlotte. And his cell phone pinged from downtown Charlotte to Noda, which if you're familiar with Charlotte, it's like, you it is not walking distance at all. And 2008, Noda was not a cute neighborhood. It was kind of dangerous. And it stopped and they got a psychic and he said, he's in a field somewhere and all I'm seeing is Coca-Cola. And they went to a field near Noda and there was an old, old rusted Coca-Cola sign. But they dug it and they never found anything. Really? Yeah. I was about to say that one's not solved. No, so still you're not about solved. to tell me. No, he's on CCTV. You can see him getting a late night bite at some pizza place. You can see him. It's just the he doesn't leave with anyone. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know. And there's reason to believe he did make that walk, right? I guess or no. because of the tower. Oh, but they didn't have. He didn't have cash so and they didn't see him at the atm so they know they didn't take cabs so i think it was like the only explanation and he called no yeah that was he called his friend and left a voicemail being like please come pick me up i can't i don't have cab fare or something so they knew that they i don't know so yeah that one is insane yeah because it's just like what the hell happened but now notice so developed i'm sure anything it's under a building Oh, I know. oh, God. Oh, uh, yeah. That's just what I think. What's your... Do you you have another story? I have another one. Okay. Just short like that. I like it. No, I'm, I'm very into this. I'm into this. Okay. This one is Mel- Melanie Uribe. Sources are a Medium article by Darian West and, again, Unsolved Mysteries, but it is solved. Chill out. <laughs> On December 15, 1980, 31-year-old Melanie Uribe, a nurse and single mother from Burbank, California, didn't show up for work. They never do. 
I'm out. Having always been punctual, her coworkers were immediately concerned, especially when she wouldn't answer her phone. So they called police, filed a missing persons report, and within days, her disappearance became front page news. Two days later, on December 17th, Etta Smith, a 32-year-old shipping clerk at Lockheed Martin, heard about Melanie's disappearance on the radio and how the police were searching for her in various houses. And despite knowing nothing about this case, Etta said she thought to herself, she's not in a house. <gasps> and as soon as that thought crossed her mind, Etta had a very clear vision. A canyon and a curving road, shrubbery, hills in the backdrop, and a dirt path leading to something white. Oh my God. She didn't know the name of the place, but she was like, I could get there though. Note, she did not consider herself a psychic at all. Yeah. She was just so overwhelmed with this vision though that she left early to go to the police station and talk to the police. Wait, she worked at Lockheed Martin? Yeah. There's always a tie to Lockheed Martin. <laughs> True crime. I feel like. There's literally one other one, and that is John Ramsey. Um, no. Uh, the House of Horrors, the terrible parents who kept those 12 kids. <gasps> mm. They worked at Lockheed Martin? He did. He was an engineer, which I'm like, what? You're, oh, God. With that haircut and those terrible <laughs> actions, you work at a... Maybe it was Northrop Grumman. No, no, I think it was Lockheed. Anyway. Yeah, that sounds right. That was a terrible, horrible story from Dateline people that... No, you saw it on the news, I'm sure. It was like two years ago when they got busted. Yeah, there's just this couple who were abusing their 12 kids, and it was just And that terrible. girl jumped out the window, and she was like nine... No, she was like 20, in her 20s, but the cop she ran up to was like, I swear, I thought she was 12 years old. Yeah, so, they like, yeah. weren't going to school. They were uneducated, but she saved everyone. Oh, no. I can't. Okay, sorry. Can't. Sidebar Central. Sorry about that, Rebecca. Sidebar Central. I am. Okay. Sorry. Um, so she did leave work early to go to the police station. Detective Lee Ryan was obviously very skeptical, but felt like Etta was credible because of her job and because of her top security clearance. Yeah. That's why I mentioned where she works, because you have to have really big security clearance. Mm -hmm. So he decided to hear her out. Etta pointed out where she believed Melanie would be found on a map. It was a remote part of the San Fernando Valley. Etta wasn't sure if Melanie was dead or alive, so she urged them to go look as soon as possible. But when she left the police station, she had a feeling she wasn't being taken seriously. So within 45 minutes of leaving, she went to go look herself. Oh, God. She she took her niece and two young daughters, and mind you, she's 32. No, they don't need to see shit. No. I'm, I'm thinking they're very young. Yeah. Ill-advised. And therefore don't need to see dead bodies? Weird. No. Mm. But she took them to the exact location she saw in her vision, and so when she pulled up, she was overwhelmed by a feeling of trauma. <gasps> As they walked through the woods, let's go go on our walk. (laughs) As they walked through the woods, her daughter pointed out something white under the brush. It was Melanie's shoe, and her body was exactly where she said it would be. An autopsy showed that she had been beaten, stripped naked, raped, and died of blunt force trauma to the head. She had also been robbed. Ooh. Get this. 
the night after her body was discovered, Etta was arrested. Okay, that's what I thought I heard the story before. Or like a high level of it. Yeah. Oh they my God. were very suspicious of how she knew exactly where the body would be. They questioned her for several hours, had her take a polygraph test, which she passed. I know it means nothing anyway. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, though. Witnesses saw two men kidnap Melanie by forcing their way into her truck while she was at a red light. So police thought maybe Etta was involved with these two men and maybe claimed to have a vision for financial gain. I guess there was a reward. Uh... They didn't know, but they just did not like how much she knew about this case. And obviously how she, like, pretty much walked right up to the body. So the next morning, she was formally charged with murder. Oh, my gosh. You're just trying to be a good Samaritan. Mm. I know. They held her for 24 hours without food or water, certain it would make her break and confess. But what they didn't know was that 20-year-old Louis Carnell Morgan and 17-year-old Spencer Nelson were driving Melanie's truck around and bragging about the killing. Oh, good. Good for those little shits. Idiots. A couple of days later, word got out that they were the real killers. Both boys confessed immediately after they were arrested, and Etta was released on December 21st. And don't worry, she sued the shit out of LAPD. Oh, great. And then, I believe it was 1987, won $26,000. Oh. So. How long did she spend in jail? I think four days. Oh, okay. Uh, at least it wasn't yeah. months and months and months. But the... For 24 hours, she had no food or water. Yeah, that's unfair. Yeah, so. Um, And that was the story of Melanie Reeb, also solved by a psychic. But she wasn't a self-proclaimed psychic. That's so weird. And, like, mind you, when random visions of, like, a certain episode of a certain show come into my head, and then that that certain episode I see on the TV, like, the following day, I find that so weird. I think about it, like, all day. Can you imagine being like, I just have a feeling this unsolved mystery, this body is right here, and then it is? That would be some sort of, I mean, it's true. The show thing is weird. If I'm listening to the radio and I think of a song and then it plays. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, whoa. Equally as weird. I am a psychic. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. That is so, I can't imagine the feeling she had. I want to do that. I want to solve a crime. Damn it. I could kind of see the police position, though. Oh, I mean, sure. Be skeptical. It's 1987, and it's like, that's just so crazy. It was 1980, but she sued in 1987. Yeah. That is weird. I did have a third one. It was about a dream Mm. that solved a murder... What? Well, usually we know dreams are very boring. So <laughs> we're yeah. not going to tell you about our dreams. This isn't. I, if someone comes up to me and is like, oh my God, they had the weirdest dream last night. Uh, I don't, I'm like, dreams are always weird. It's not an interesting story. No. I'm just saying. Yeah. So this isn't what this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm going to tell it. It's from the 1820s. Oh, uninterested <laughs> and i don't buy it i already don't buy it he, did someone fall down the stairs they were pushed no this one had the most information of it on it and i was like how you can tell it and i'll decide if we should cut it 
want to see. It's two pages. Oh, forget it. <laughs> I can give you a quick synopsis. Okay. A couple is in England, too. It's a haunting. Everywhere in England's haunted. <laughs> no, a couple was living in England. The daughter ran off and got married. There was a whole slew of things. She was a single mom, so they were gonna. She was like gonna get charged with bastardy, which is <gasps> you get if you have a baby out of wedlock, they whip you <gasps> in town square in front of everyone. Like this is why I'm like I can't do it. No, this is an urban legend. So she ran off and got married um, because she got pregnant again. And she was like, we got to pretend that we're married so I don't get in trouble. And so they did elope, moved towns because the constable was like after her to charge her with this crime. This is ridiculous. And so like a year went by and the parents hadn't heard from her and they got letters and stuff. But And the mom kept having a dream that she was actually buried like in the town. There's like a town building Fuck. <laughs> town like, building a building in the town no stop. it's like a barn but it's like a landmark like the community could use it and she said i keep having dreams that she's buried in there and she was scared to tell her husband but her husband went there and started digging and found her oh okay so well i don't know that could be a urban legend passed down from someone's family tree that i'm like okay well or she knew she knew more than she was saying. I don't know why. I've believed every story you've told. I was just the 1800s. I'm like, eh, it's cheap. The mom probably killed her. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, not yet. Now he confessed. But, uh, I mean. Yeah. No, dreams are weird. Um, remember in D.C., I went on a date with a guy. I Re- Rebecca went on a date. Rebecca went on a date with a guy. I went on a get- date with a guy. I dreamt that. Or I, I thought I woke up and there was a blonde girl sitting, standing next to my bed. And I didn't, I couldn't make out her face. She didn't really have, it was dark, but she had like shoulder length blonde hair. But I thought I was kind of dreaming or out of it. So I went back to sleep. But the a few days later, maybe the following day, I learned from my roommates that the guy I went on a date with had a girlfriend in college who passed away, sadly. And she had blonde hair, which I didn't yeah. know. So weird things. See- those dreams I like. Me too. I don't want to hear about how an was, elephant I, stole my talk- lunch and right, and then it ended up being my friend. But I didn't. I knew she was an elephant, but it wasn't weird. <laughs> so I just can't with that. Another dream that I like that actually happened firsthand was I, Rachel, was living in Asheville. Rebecca was in D.C. Our good friend passed away in a plane crash. So obviously very suddenly. And so I was able to get it. was, she lived in Atlanta. So I was able to get to Atlanta. Like I was there longer. You were just having a really hard time with it because yeah. you weren't able to be there quickly. And I, it, it was just awful. And no one in DC knew her personally. So there's no one like I could. Yeah. Yeah. I was having a hard time with it. Yeah. And so one night soon after had a dream about her and I was like talking to her and she was in heaven. It was like a very real conversation. And I was like, you need to go to Rebecca's dream because she like wants to hear from you. And the next morning I'm about to cry. I know. I used to cry (laughs) telling it, but the next morning 
I woke up and I was like, I had the best dream about Jackie. It was so real. We talked about her wedding because she was engaged at the time and her fiance was also in the plane. We talked about their wedding. We talked about their blah, blah, blah. And just made me feel so much better about everything. And Rach was like, I had a dream about her two days ago and I told her to go to you. Like things like that. No, it was in the same night. I told her to go to you. Oh, okay. Well, I love things like that. Like that just makes me so happy. And I hope it's it was actually her, and if not, it makes you feel at peace. And oh my gosh, I think so it's nice. so cool. It's cool. It's so cool. Now yeah. I'm emotional. Oh, don't be. Yeah, that was good. That was a good. Those are good three. Right. Well, they're all so short that I was like, no, I can throw in a few more in here. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear weird psychic things. Yeah, if y'all have had anything like that, let us know. I want to know yeah. about that. But what we don't want to hear is like you in the circus but you didn't know you were in the circus it was <laughs> yeah. your first day the yeah, whole thing got it we're all good there right paranormal stuff throw at me i'm mm-hmm. here all ears yeah i love a, i love a ghost interaction and they solve crimes who knew yeah go girlfriend right thanks rach interesting interesting Weird stuff, man. Okay, well, that was fun. That was fun. This is episode something. And (laughs) join our Patreon. Join the Patreon. We're going to have a bonus episode. Rachel's going to go first on the bonus episode. I'm almost done with it. It's a good one. It's, again, one we have, like, a different kind of story. It's crazy. Yeah, but it's probably, it's too short to make into an episode. No, this is going to be long. (laughs) (laughs) Then what the hell? Okay. All right. You'll see. We'll chat. Um, All right, y'all. Thank y'all so much. Y'all are the best. People are the worst. Also, if you want some comfy-ass loungewear and a good bra, go to twinks.com and use promo code PEOPLESUCK, and you'll get a discount. Now I can't remember what the discount is. Me neither, but you'll see. (laughs) It's a surprise. Bye, guys. Bye.